0: There's a lot of focus on engineering teams about how to improve productivity. And there's a lot of talk about tooling. These things are awesome, but I think that the bug reporting process has huge inefficiencies and engineering teams, if they were to spend some time improving that, would see gains beyond the investment.
1: Hi, and welcome to Loving Legacy. I'm your host, Richard Baum, And this time I have with me Danny Grant from Jam. Danny, thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Absolute pleasure. Now, perhaps you could, for our listeners, introduce yourself a little bit and tell us what you do and who you do it for.
0: I'm Danny. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Jam. We help people report bugs in a way to engineers that is perfect for the engineer. What most people don't realize is that while most things in software development has totally changed in the last 30 years like is unrecognizable to us in the 90s. The way we do bug reporting actually hasn't changed at all. And it slows teams down. And it's especially painful in today's new remote global world.
1: Yeah, I'm really feeling that. I'm nodding my head along as, as you say these things. So you reached out to me because basically you said, I want to come on. And uh, you, you said you're a fan of the show, which is great to hear. Um, so yeah, what gave, gave you the inspiration for Jam? And what was your kind of journey, I suppose, for kind of getting to the situation you are now in?
0: My my co-founder and I started as product managers together at Cloudflare. And on Cloudflare, we worked on a very interesting team. We were sort of the skunkworks team, and our job was to launch net new businesses for the company. So we had to move really, really fast and get great stuff out the door right away. And time and time again, what we found holding us back is all of the miscommunication and back and forths about bugs and fixes with engineers. And in the in-person world, what we would do is we'd repro the bug on our laptops, and then we'd go run around the office until we found the engineer, and then we'd give the engineer our physical laptop so they could debug it there, because otherwise, how can they see, you know, dev tools? Mm -hmm. Uh, But when the world went remote, uh, there was no way to do that. And so that is why we started Jam. We wanted to build the tool that we needed as product managers.
1: Okay, right. So until then, yeah, either the the laptop has to be there, or you could copy-paste, I mean, screenshotting is a part of the application that you have now so jam does that i understand so presumably before that's another way that you could have made bugs you could have just screenshotted it but it's just not as immediate is that is that the idea
0: a screenshot is such a low fidelity way to communicate something happening on the web in cyberspace Mm -hmm. Uh, there's all this stuff happening in the background that the developer needs that a screenshot does not encompass even Sometimes when people take screenshots, they don't even include the relevant part of the page in the screenshot. They include the error message, but the developer actually needs what's around the screenshot like what account are you logged in with what version of the software are you using? What country are you in like what is the language that is shown and like the experiments you are a part of um, So with jam, we try to get all of the relevant information for a developer all packaged into one link so they mm. have all the information they need to debug right away no back and forth needed so it's one click to screenshot or record a video or instant replay a bug that just happened and we grab a crop screenshot that you take plus the full screen so all the context you may have missed um, plus console logs, fully inspectable network requests, and all the specs of the device and the browser and the operating system and even what your network speed was.
1: So you've been going a while, you've got plenty of users all over the place. Um, my background is mainly working in corporate land and I know what it's like, You got everything's locked down. So how does it play in that kind of scenario as well? Is it a case of you have to be completely fully open or can you work behind firewalls? Is there is there even an on-premise solution that you offer?
0: There's no on-prem, but we do offer like advanced access controls for organizations that need that. And actually, a lot of the people using Jam are at these large corporations because the problem is exacerbated. The more people you have on the team, the more countries different people are working in. Yeah. Um, and, and the broader the surface area of the product, which more legacy companies just have a really broad surface area that they've built over the last 20 years. So an example of some of the companies using Jam are like Dell, T-Mobile, Autodesk, sort of these large wow. corporations too. Yeah.
1: Okay, so backing up a little bit then, so what got you interested? So are you like from a software engineering background in the first place? What's your kind of path, I suppose, to where you are now?
0: I studied human-computer interaction at NYU. Oh,
1: cool. Nice.
0: And went from there to venture capital, became a VC. Um, my co-founder is, uh, was an engineer turned PM, and we met when we were both PMs at Cloudflare. So I bring the business side, he brings the engineering side, and together we're tackling the problem.
1: Okay cool. How do you even start in you know, it from a product mindset but having technical understanding?
0: When we started jam the first thing we wanted to do was just validate that this was not only a problem that we experienced as product managers at Cloudflare but that this was a problem people experienced industry wide. And so having experience as PMs we said let's okay let's do a bunch of user interviews that's what we know how to do. Right. And so the first thing my co-founder and I did, even before we quit our jobs to start Jam, is we did 45 user interviews validating that this was a problem people faced, companies big and small across the industry, Um, and the emotion that people expressed on these calls uh, was so palpable. Uh, that we knew we needed to solve the problem. And actually, um, one of those first early user interviews tried to pay us and set up an onboarding for his whole team. And then we had to explain to him that there is no product yet. We are just researching. Um, So we really started from the product mindset. But then then we need to figure out, well, how do we build a product solution to a problem that has not been solved yet with a product solution? And both my co-founder and I um, knew how to write code. Um, He is a former mobile developer, so he took a React course online to teach himself React. And I was sort of a hobbyist developer um, and had picked up some skills. And together we built sort of the first prototype of Jam just to see if there were any legs there. Um, We were really inspired by the story of Foursquare. The CEO bought himself a Learn PHP book, taught himself PHP to build the first version. And so we we loved that story and, and wanted to emulate that.
1: Yeah, because when you're launching a product from a an engineering perspective, it's always about how how we're going to build it. Um, and it's very difficult to kind of jump out of that mindset and say, no, rather than just exercising what we think is the, the important muscle, which is building stuff, how can we actually think about solving a problem? And <laughs> that seems to be the perennial thing.
0: A hundred percent. And actually, you know, when we were early on the journey, we were very excited about the new technologies we could use to solve this problem. Um, so, and 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 so we chose things like Kubernetes and GraphQL. And let me tell you that a couple of years later, if there's ever any issue in our product, it is caused by one of the not boring <laughs> technologies that we chose like Kubernetes or GraphQL.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, non-boring I think is the the operative words here because you have to think about scale, you've got to think about the future of your product. So I think it's very sensible, the approach you took, especially just learning um, a technical solution off the bat. So do you still run on Kubernetes? Is that a question I can ask or?
0: still use kubernetes still use graphql um, but it it is a constant conversation on the team one of the interesting things that i had not realized in our first weeks building jam is that the technical decisions we made so early on before there was even a team uh, stayed for much longer than i would have imagined the last remaining of that is when i when it was like weekend one and i built a first prototype i used mongodb because it's very easy it's very flexible it's great for prototyping We ran on MongoDB (laughs) until a month ago and it was causing scaling issues for us at our scale because it's a great database and it's great for production data for an app of a different type, but we just needed a SQL database. Um, Mm -hmm. And so those queries were just taking so long. And when we did that migration, gosh, immediately the app sped up three or four times and it, it was awesome. Users noticed, it was great. Wow,
1: the, the MongoDB hype cycle. But it's interesting, isn't it, that yeah, boring old SQL kind of comes to the rescue again. So yeah, obviously then you've got a legacy problem, right? So you've got like stuff in MongoDB, you've got to migrate it. How did you cope with that?
0: Um, so two engineers took this on in our team. Um, they spent six weeks um, working on the migration. They had, and at, at the time that they deployed the migration, they had a run book of what to do. They had practiced on staging, um, and they had a run book of what to do if things went wrong. And they had um, a list of scenarios that they thought could happen. The whole migration took twenty minutes, and there was not a single bug report after. And it. And watching, I was on the Slack huddle where the two engineers were during the migration, and they they just, they worked with each other with such respect and such like collaboration. It was like a soccer team that's passing very well. It's sort of practice for the bigger problems that may come along, and you're learning how to execute on the smaller problems so that when you have to do big and difficult things, you can. And I just felt like, okay, we did a big and difficult thing together, and, and, and we And now we can do anything. So that was a moment of pride.
1: And that was pretty recently, yeah?
0: That was one month and one day ago.
1: Okay, congratulations on that. So how big is the team then now at Jam?
0: small team of seven.
1: Uh, okay, one well. thing we
0: learned at Cloudflare is when something is important and you want it to go faster, it's actually better to have fewer people on it, not more. And so we really right. live by that. We're very inspired by Instagram. There are 13 pe- they were 13 people at a billion dollar valuation. Uh, my dream is for Jam to be 13 people at a billion dollar valuation.
1: Okay. So what does the future then look like? So you're very excited to get almost to fifty thousand users. That's brilliant. Are they all paying users? Uh, how does the licensing model work?
0: We're students of Cloudflare, so large free tier. Um, We love that. We we love that uh, we can build something that everyone can use, um, no matter their ability to pay, and then build features on top that only companies need and companies have the ability to pay. Um, We're so determined to bring bug reporting out of this sort of archaic, manual, outdated phase that it's in and change it. modernize it, bring it to the 21st century of how we do things in software development today. Um, Wherever there are bugs, we will be trying to build product solutions for that.
1: So it sounds like, yeah, you're very aligned then with the developer experience. I mean, obviously it's great from a product um, experience as well from a a company's point of view, but the emotional words that you're using there about kind of pain, it seems to be aligned very much with the things that developers will feel when they are confronted with a bug report which doesn't have enough information in it. Is that fair?
0: Yes, and to be honest, the product managers, the support team members, and the QA testers who are reporting bugs to engineers are just as frustrated. It's a communication problem, so it really has to be solved on both ends.
1: Okay, so the fee- it's shorting that feedback loop again, which is the important part of any development or product process. So what happens then with these, because I've tried the tool out and I really like it, um, but I'm just on the free tier, of course, but so what's the value add, I suppose, then for the, for the next stage, what do you get?
0: Most of the value add... Um, under the paid tier has to do with access controls that companies of a certain size need. We want to give the value-add away for free, which is spend less time debugging for engineers, spend less time manually reporting bugs for PMs, work together Mm -hmm. better as a productive, fast-moving team for everyone. Um, And then under the paid tier, we have advanced access controls, privacy, security, um, that only corporations uh, are really asking for.
1: Okay, so yeah, that's the bit I'm interested in then. So, Because I noticed a couple of sites, for example, won't let you record. So Google won't let you record stuff on it. Is Or is that something that's configured within the tool itself? How does that work?
0: In the extension, we allow people to set all sorts of settings, like um, if they want to disable Jam on any site uh, for any reason, or if they want to do the opposite and enable it only for specific sites. Um, engineers especially have all sorts of different preferences around their browser and extensions that they use. And so we just try to accommodate that and make everyone feel really like in control when they're using Jam.
1: Okay, but would this be suitable also for customers? So would you be providing it to customers or would a a solution provide it for customers?
0: When we started Jam, we wanted to fix the internal communication problems between like, Support QA and engineers. But actually what we're seeing is that a lot of teams are sending Jam to their customers and saying, we can't reproduce the bug you just reported. Please log it with this tool and then we'll be able to um, action it. And so we're really excited to see that happen, but definitely are excited also in the future to build something more focused towards customers.
1: Okay. And it integrates with other tools as well. So can can you use it with Jira or what?
0: We integrate with all the major issue trackers. So for example, if your team uses Jira, we want to make it really fast to get all the relevant debugging information into a Jira ticket. So Jira, Asana, GitHub, Slack, uh, wherever you are reporting bugs, uh, we want Jam to make that faster and better. We have this idealized version of of what might happen, which is like someone spots a bug, creates a Jira ticket, engineer fixes it. But nine times out of 10, that's actually not what happens. Typically, someone reports a bug, and they want to get more information before they create the Jira ticket. So they put something sort of vague um, into a Slack channel, like um, login isn't working. And the vagueness of any issue creates a lot of fear because it sounds like a big deal without more details. And so a lot of engineers will see that message and be like, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing on and focus on the critical thing. And because there was no sort of um, orchestration, many engineers will now stop what they're doing to focus on this versus being like, one person picks it up as a ticket. From there, there's a lot of back and forth with the original bug reporters. These engineers are trying to repro it on their machines. They're not seeing it. They're asking back and forth. What environment are you in? What browser are you in? What mm-hmm. device are you yeah. using? Um, like, c- can you send a screenshot? And ultimately, um, if, if they're able to resolve it with that, great. But then ultimately, they usually need to hop on a call with the original bug reporter and everyone's busy. So you're orchestrating schedules and maybe at the end of the day, you have to context switch back to this and get on a call with the bug reporter. And then like um, they share screen. You have to help them like open up dev tools and click where it says console, click where it says network and like guide them through something that's quite confusing um, and reproduce the bug. And at the end of the day, it could have been something like, oh, the person had the wrong password, but that front end error wasn't bubbled up to the user. So login wasn't mm-hmm. broken. It's just a front end error was not bubbled up. And so and it's just the and that's just one bug. And it's something that could have been identified and fixed in five minutes. And instead took an afternoon for several engineers and for that to be the case in 2023 when we have amazing other technical tools and software development has come so far um is 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 bunkers
1: (laughs) good word Um, yeah i'll contend that a little bit because it depends where you work i would say as well because sometimes You can't get a bug looked at by a developer without going via a PO, you know? You can't get a a, a bug looked at even in the same day, week, or month, no matter what it is, no matter how well it's reported. It's not because it isn't the process, right? So sometimes it's a case of there will be a lot of information added to a ticket, maybe in, I don't know, ServiceNow before it even gets to Jira, which will then have to be translated into a separate tool. So whilst I get that it's great if everyone's moving at that kind of pace, but it sounds a little bit ka- kind of chaotic, I'd say as well, that kind of pace, then then I can get the, the, there's a real need for it there. However, it might, yeah. Where I've worked, it's kind of like you can't get something looked at a, a, a developer because they're not available.
0: The, the two things go hand in hand because of the intense amount of time it currently takes engineers to solve even basic issues because they're not given all the info up front. Um, Bugs are just taking longer to solve, which means you can solve fewer issues, which means customers have to suffer with more issues in the product for longer. And so by streamlining the process, you also are able to solve more bugs, which is really exciting.
1: Does it help you also categorize the type of bugs as well? So, is there anywhere, or would that come in something like Jira or Azure DevOps or something like that?
0: Oh, uh, this is something we want to build so much, um, which is you use Jam to record a bug right on the web page, So we have a lot more information than Jira has. And so uh, we've been thinking about ways we can help with deduplication, categorization, um, and also routing. Because a lot of the um, inefficiencies around bug reporting is like someone reports an issue and they just like route it to the wrong team. Um,
1: anything that you can avoid to have deduplication, especially in Jira, because that's what a lot of people's time is spent doing, you know, is looking at either Um, content in jira which has uh, not enough information or it's something that has been reported before or it's something that's been there for two years already and should already been thrown away could you then also um not just categorize but also give like a time series version as well like kind of you almost like an observability platform where you could say these bugs are being pop are popping up at certain times is there any way that you can mine that information from the tool
0: that's that's so cool. We're actually working on something related to observability um, that we'll announce in a couple weeks uh, okay. that I'm really excited about. If the goal is give developers all the information they need up front, mm-hmm. then doesn't that need to dig deep into the stack and, and help them see what the error was across the infrastructure? So we're working on something there. You know, uh, there's a lot of focus on engineering teams about how to how to improve productivity and there's a lot of talk about tooling. Um, There's a lot of talk about collaboration with other teams. These things are awesome, Um, but I think that the bug reporting process uh, has huge inefficiencies, and engineering teams, if they were to spend some time improving that, um, would see gains beyond the investment. Like I I just think it's it's one of those neglected areas that, with a little bit of effort on, um, has a huge impact. Um, both for the speed and productivity, but also the collaboration and trust within the team.
1: Definitely. But how do you fix that? That's the thing. I mean, because everything is so embedded, the way that we work things. we the firms have spent a lot of money, billions probably, hundreds of billions, on digital agile transformations. We've had agile coaches, we have had Scrum, we've had DevOps, what all this kind of stuff's been going on. And we ended up we've got a fixed tool set. You know, it's like this is the core of the problem. We put things and put a sticky into Jira or into Azure DevOps or whatever, and then we forget about it. So how do you kind of flip it around and make it a, a, a situation where people are kind of, yeah, because I want to say they're fast, they're, they're solving bugs faster, but that's kind of not the point. We don't want to have bugs in the first place. We want to have good software. So how do you kind of flip it and like not make it about bugs and not make it about stacks of bugs, but make it about good software?
0: It's, it's funny you say that, like the tools and processes are stuck in place and uh, we've already invested as an industry so much time and effort and resources on um, on Agile and, and these new practices in DevOps. Uh, when we started Jam, we started with a different solution to solve the same problem, which we thought we were going to be able to replace some aspects of Jira um, with something better. But what we found at that time is there was a lot of resistance to that because it's like, well, you already use Jira, so why take a risk on something else? It is good enough. And mm-hmm. so we realized we needed to build something that would improve the Jira experience from the inside out, where at the you know, whatever process you are using um, to run your team, at the end of the day, you get these tickets. And the tickets are the things that you're working on. And if the tickets are of low quality, uh, it's it makes the job much harder. And so we wanted to build some like something very lightweight, anyone could pick up and start using, that would improve the quality of each one of these tickets. Um, but what you're saying about it's it's not about uh, fix, fixing bugs so much as it is about having a great customer experience. Um, I I completely agree. Um, I think you have to do both. As a as a remote startup, we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we move faster with high quality because as a startup, speed is the biggest advantage we have against giants. And so we really care about moving really fast and still delivering great product. And so we've. We figured out a couple things that work really well for us um, that I think could work well for other teams, too. Um, one is a culture of code comments. Um, a lot of issues arise when an engineer is stepping into a file they have never been in or a part of the code base that they're unfamiliar with. And so they make a change without understanding what are the ramifications across a complicated mm-hmm. product. But if if there is a culture of code comments where engineers don't approve PRs unless there is sufficient context given uh, in each new part of the code, um, that really helps engineers uh, keep the quality up and move faster because they can get context um, really quickly when they step into a new part of the code base. Another is doing an on-call program. Uh, we do it a bit differently than other teams. Most on-call programs, there's an engineer who is expected to be on-call in addition to whatever it is that they're currently working on. We do it differently where when you are on call, you are only on call. And so your job is to make improvements that you want to see unless there is something urgent that comes up or you need to help someone release some code. Um, And so that Mm -hmm. way there's always one person on the engineering team, which for us is meaningful. It's 20 percent of the engineering team um, that's working on sort of background fixes, cleaning up technical debt. And then the last thing is something we found is the there is a misconception about moving fast, which Uh, which people think if you stop and take too much time to plan, you won't move very fast. But the not moving very fast that we're afraid of is like deadlines slipping by weeks. It's not taking an extra day to plan. And we found that if we spend about half to one day before starting to write code on any project, planning how it will work and having a round of feedback with the engineering team, what are some ramifications we may not have thought of and half to one day at the end, cleaning things up we found along the way, then we don't have to stop and do a bunch of technical debt cleanup later. And that really helps us. So Mm. there will be bugs and having a streamlined process to report and fix them is super important, but also having practices that support that um, is is important too.
1: Mm. So would you describe then Jam or the mission of Jam then as being like kind of not just supplementing the existing tools there, but hopefully replacing them in some ways as well.
0: I mean, the we're we're in love with the problem, not the solution, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so uh, we will do whatever it takes to modernize the communication between all the different cross-functional teams of an organization, help engineers fix and catch issues faster.
1: Well, I look forward to hearing about the journey as well as you you go forward. So it sounds like it's been a very exciting ride so far. It's only going to get more exciting. So what are the plans for the next? So you've got something exciting to announce soon. Looking beyond that, you've already touched on some potentially quite exciting things from the future. So you're kind of, you have large ambitions. Is it fair enough to say that?
0: Yeah. um, We... Uh, we were talking as a team uh, the other day and someone was like this this is very ambitious and, and, and then we're like yes but everything we do is you know needs to be ambitious um, we feel like we're I mean we are just getting started there is so much to be done um, and I'm really excited about the future we have uh, a really special team uh, they are awesome they care uh, they work so well together um, and, and they're so supportive of each other and I can't wait to see what we can all do together
1: awesome well I look forward to seeing it too Danny, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and best of luck in the future.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was lots of fun to make. If you would like to come on to Loving Legacy, then please feel free to get in touch. You can find me via social media, BoundRW on Twitter or via LinkedIn or via my website, richardwbound.com. I'd love to talk to you about anything to do with software delivery and or something to do with legacy systems, of course. Until next time, this is Richard Bound saying goodbye and good luck.